Hello. Thanks for listening to our Fusion Sermon Podcast. Fusion is a worshiping community within Hardawike Ministries. We gather at 1030 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Hardawike campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Fusion community and Hardawike Ministries, please visit hardawike.com. Let's jump in because this fall we've been beginning a new series of messages uh, that will take us into the summer with some breaks along the way. We're using a resource called Believe. And if you haven't gotten that resource, there, there's a book for this study, and uh, that is out in, the, in kind of the gathering space by the coffee. If you'd like a copy of that, sign, you don't have to sign up. Grab a copy. We're asking for a $5 donation, but that would be a helpful resource to follow along. But this fall, we're in 10 weeks where we're looking at some of the core truths of the Christian faith taught in Scripture. We're, we're talking about what does it mean to think like Jesus? And so far, we've, we've considered in, in some pretty hefty topics and questions around who is God, week one. And then we talked about, well, does God care about us? And, and we answered those questions, of course God cares about it, God loves us. And last week we looked at this, uh, this, this rich promise of salvation. Well, this morning we, we considered the important question around, well, how can we know these things? How can we know about who God is and whether God cares about us? How can we know and understand what does salvation in Jesus Christ mean? And, and the question lands us with what we're going to talk about today, which is God's word. We're going to be talking more specifically around the scriptures and what we call the Bible, the Word of God. Now, to guide our journey this morning, we're going to turn to the most direct description of the scriptures in the Christian Bible. It's found in 2 Timothy 3, uh, really verses 16 and 17. But, but Paul writes this, this letter to his gospel partner, Timothy, uh, who's a leader in the church in Ephesus. And this is likely Paul's last letter that he pens. He's in jail. His time is nearing its end. But Timothy is a leader in the church in Ephesus. And Timothy has been dealing with certain challenges in Ephesus. Primarily, we think that, we, well, we know there's some false teachers who are teaching a distortion of the gospel. We don't know exactly what the message is uh, that they're teaching. It might be, have something to do with embracing some Greek philosophy, rejecting the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, either way, there's, some, there's a distortion of the gospel and what we believe happening in Ephesus. And so Paul, in his final charge to Timothy, he's calling Timothy back to the sound teaching of the scriptures, which direct God's people toward the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return. And so we're going to pick up right here in, in Paul's final charge to Timothy, where he kind of zeroes in on the scriptures and what are the scriptures. And so if you're willing, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we honor God, as we hear God speak to us through these scriptures. We'll be reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Paul writes to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you join me as we continue turning our hearts to God? Lord, we thank you for your word. 
as Paul wrote to Timothy, words that are, are breathed of God. Spirit, we pray that as you were at work in the writing of these words through your servant Paul, Spirit, that you would be at work in the listening and the studying of these words, your word. And Lord, in, in hearing from you, Holy Spirit, that our lives would be changed, our hearts would be impacted so that, Lord, we would be formed and shaped more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and who is our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. God's people say together, amen, amen. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, Yvonne and I um, were searching the internet and uh, we've found some flights uh, for a trip we're gonna be taking to Arizona. And uh, let me tell you, it was a really good deal. But I'm not here to tell you about how great of a deal we got on our flights. Instead, I wanted to just talk about uh, commercial flying. How many of you just love to fly commercial? Not many people. Anyway, yeah, anyway. But I was just thinking about like flying commercial is, is kind of this, this fascinating glimpse, kind of a fascinating case study in human sociology. And why is that? Think about, think about just the concept. I mean, there's the whole airport experience and all that, but, but, but you, you, you step into a plane and you sit at a seat and for the next three, four, five, six hours, you are, you are stuck sitting next to the person that you are sitting next to, right? You, you, you cannot get away, uh, right? There's no emergency stop. Uh, button or whatever. Anyway, so as I, as I was thinking about just flying commercial, what struck me is there's, there's really two kinds of people on a commercial flight. And this is an oversimplification. I get that. Okay. But just humor me here. There's two kinds of people. You have, you have the talkers, right? You have the talkers. And then on the other side, you have the, the leave me aloneers. Okay. Any, any talkers here? No, you don't have to raise your hand. Okay, maybe, maybe you know who you are, right? But there's the, there's the talkers, the, the let me share my life story with you. We have this unique opportunity to connect on a personal level and become friends kind of people. And on the other side of it, you have leave me alone. I just want to read my book. We're never going to meet again. This, you know, there's no point in this. Just leave me alone. Again, you maybe know who you are. Yvonne would tell you who I am, but I'll, I'll let you guess. <laughs> I'll just let you guess. Now, here's the problem with this engagement. The picture kind of, kind of captures it. The problem comes when, when the talkers, those who are the talkers, don't kind of pick up on the subtle cues that the leave-me-aloners are kind of trying to give. You know what I'm talking about. Like, they ask a question, and the leave-me-aloner just gives this short one-word response, or they, they're digging in their bag, and they pull out that book, and they're immediately engaged in their book, or they're putting in earbuds, or they're pretending to fall asleep in 0.5 seconds. No one can fall asleep that fast, right? There's all these different strategies. It's like, hey, get a clue. They don't want to talk to you. JB, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, I'm... I, Whatever. You, you, anyway, yeah. So anyway, I was, I was just thinking about this kind of fun interaction on, on a plane. And, and, and I was just thinking, like, it's really the snapshot of kind of life and relationship with, with other people in this world. Because we do the same kinds of things in our daily interactions. Just normally we can, we can get away, right? We've, we've all had the conversation with people who are just, who are not interested in talking, right? 
And, and maybe part of it's just personality type. Maybe part of it, you know, someone's going through something that's difficult, but, but you, you've, you've had a conversation where someone's kind of reserved or they're kind of closed off or they're just not interested in really sharing their life story. And again, we have grace there because we just don't know what people are, are going through. But then I think we've all been in other conversations where you experience the exact opposite, right? And you start having this conversation with someone and, and, and they're just warm and they're open and they're engaging. And like this person, like, you like, man, they want to become my best friend. And they, they, I feel like the most special person in the whole world. And they're ready to tell their whole life story, right? And, and as we think about what we're going to talk about this morning, as we begin conversation around scripture, God's word, I, I think the first question that, that I began to ask as I was preparing for this is, what's, what's God's posture toward us, right? Is, is God one who is, who is kind of closed off and rigid and, and kind of hesitant to kind of open up to us? Or is, is God's posture to us one of openness and warmth? The question is, does God want to be known? As we talk about God's word, the question is, does God want to be known? And then, and then the question that we'll jump to later is how does God reveal God's self? What is God's posture toward us as humanity, as God's people? And that brings us to the first conversation around revelation. Not the book of the Bible, but how God reveals God's self to us. It's an idea hinted at in verse 16. All scripture is God's breathed. Certainly Paul's telling us that there's something special about scripture, but but that's not the only way God reveals himself to us. God reveals himself more generally in and through creation, right? See, the truth is God is, is, is very open to humanity. In fact, I'd say God desires for all people to know him on a deep and intimate level. God's posture toward us is open and warm. It's not closed off. It's not rigid. And yet at the same time, I think it's fair to say that God is not some kind of like cosmic creeper, right, who, who will just come barging into your life unannounced or unwelcomed. Kind of to bring it to the, to the, to the airplane metaphor, like God is not the talker on the airplane who's not gonna leave you alone. If you don't want to talk, God will respect your dignity, respect your space. So as we think about God, the one who reveals himself, what we see is God who does not typically write messages in the skies or speak with an audible, booming voice from the heavens calling your name. Instead, God reveals himself most often in more subtle and unintrusive kinds of ways. For example, the beauty of a sunset or the power of a thunderstorm. On, on Labor Day weekend, if, if you were here for our combined service outside, we, we studied Psalm 19. Psalm 19 opens with these words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Creation reveals God. Think about this, the, the beauty and the power and the, the vastness and the intricacies and details of creation, the order and the reliability of creation all point to and reveal the creator God, the one who created the heavens and the earth. So I was just, just pondering God's beauty and creation. I was thinking like the beauty of creation points to God's creative artistry and imagination. The vastness of this universe points to God's grandeur, Right? but also the intricacies and the details of this created world point us to God's care and love that he pays attention to the details. Even the order and the reliability of creation. Think about this. The fact that the law of gravity is a law. 
that the law of gravity is a constant. The, 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 the reality that every morning the sun rises, every, every season, like, like we experienced rain yesterday. It was like every 15 minutes. It was weird. But the fact that it rains and waters comes to the earth and the seasons that restore and renew the earth, God's reliability, God's order in this created world points to his faithfulness and his provision. If we have eyes to see, God's creation declares the glory of God. If we want to see God, if we slow down enough to notice, God is constantly revealing himself all around us in in and through his creation. And so we pray every time we step out of the world, I got to remind myself, but spirit, give me eyes to see and to notice the creator of the heavens and the earth. Now, theologians have a word for this. They refer to this as as general revelation. This is the way that God reveals himself to all of humanity, for we all live in God's creation. And at the same time, theologians, and we would, along with them, admit that creation has its limits, right? General revelation has its limits. Uh, Creation cannot teach us about Jesus. Like, I I can go walk out on... The beach, I should point in the right direction. But I can go out to the state park and watch a sunset, but it's not going to tell me about the cross. It's not going to tell me about my need for Jesus Christ and the weight of my own sin, right? We still need something more properly to properly interpret God's good and beautiful world. To truly know God, we need more than just a posture of openness and general revelation. We need conversation. We need words. And God has given us words and story and poetry, and prose discourse, and all the different genres of the scriptures through his word. The scriptures are God's special revelation that allow us to know God on a more deep and intimate level. And here's where we get into the words of Paul's words to Timothy when we talk about scripture. Paul will write these words. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What I want to do this morning is just work through each of those three movements word by word, beginning with this first line. All scripture is God-breathed. The first question we have to ask when we think about scripture in the Bible is, well, what is scripture and what makes it so special? And I think that line answers those two questions. All scripture is God-breathed. Let's first consider this phrase, all scripture. That's important to note, Paul is is writing in the first century before any of what we call the New Testament has been compiled into a codex, into a book, and canonized as the New Testament. This is before the New Testament has been, been, been established as what we have today. And so a reasonable question might be to consider, well, what's Paul referring to when he says all scripture? Well, what's interesting is Paul actually uses this same word uh, for scripture in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 5, verse 18, in which he proceeds to quote both Old Testament passages. I think we'd, we'd assume that he's referring to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible as scripture in Deuteronomy 25, but Paul also quotes words of Jesus found in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Uh, in that passage. So he's referring to an Old Testament passage and one of the gospel writings as words of scripture. 
Further, the Apostle Peter will later on refer to some of Paul's writings as Scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. So it seems that there was already some momentum, even in the first century, moving toward some texts being canonized as Scripture that include the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as some of the Apostles' writings as Scripture. I think that's pretty fascinating. So there's already some movement toward what we receive by the work of the Holy Spirit. Second phrase here is God breathe. What does this phrase mean? Well, the Greek here is a compound word uh, that literally means theos, pneo, God breathe. It's believed that this is a, a word that the apostle Paul coined. Like he came up with this word in order to try to capture what the, skip, what the scriptures are. They are the spoken words of God, that these are the words breathed from the mouth of God. For when we breathe, we speak. And when we speak, we breathe, right? It is the word of God. God breathed words, right? What I found interesting is he's not that interested in how the scriptures came to be. We understand that, that the spirit worked through human authors who penned words in a specific time and place and the, the spirit continues to work when we read the scriptures. He's less interested in how it works but Paul is more interested in the fact that it does work. By the work of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures are God's word, a word from God. As I think about God, God reveals, and it's his desire to reveal himself to humanity. He has this open posture of warmth and love and grace. It's found all around us in creation, the beauty, the structure, the grandeur, the detail. That's his posture, but then his, his words are the conversation that follow. The specific revelations around who God is, the story that frames our lives, gives us meaning to who we are and who God created us to be, the good news of the gospel are found on the pages of the Bible. And so we need to engage in conversation with God to get to know God on a deeper, more intimate level. Like God is ready to engage, but most often he's not going to interrupt our lives. He's, it's this warm openness and invitation when we are welcome into his presence and when we initiate that. That is, we need to engage with God's word. All scripture is God breathed. Next, Paul offers some insights, two pairings of how God's word can be used in practice. All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The first pairing offers two, two sides, positive and negative of the same coin on doctrine, speaking to what we believe. The truth about who God is. How is, how is scripture useful? The first is this, Teaching. The word in the Greek for teaching is didaskalia, right? It refers to teaching, instruction that is properly applied. This is often what we do on Sundays, right? We're, we're exploring and we're studying God's word because we're trying to understand the meaning of the text in its context and how does that impact our lives because what we believe matters, right? And so Sundays, we dig into the word. Yeah, we, we dig into the, the original language some because we want to understand what God's word is saying, and on the other side of that same kind of doctrinal or what we believe, the truths, the core truths of scripture, that doctrinal coin is, is rebuke, right? So if teaching is the positive and like, what, we, what do we mean? What do we believe? What does the word say? The Greek word for rebuke here means to rebuke or to reproof. 
specifically around double-mindedness. What's interesting is in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, the same word is used. It's the only other time it's used in the scriptures. And, and the framework for uh, where, where how Peter uses this word is, is he brings us back to Numbers 22, which is, if you're a kid, well, as a kid, I think it's one of the favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's, it's Balaam and his donkey, are you familiar with it? And his donkey starts talking to him. And so, so Peter's referring to Balaam's donkey who rebukes Balaam. Why? If you remember the story, Balaam's riding this donkey and the donkey keeps veering off the path, right? Because there's an angel of the Lord standing in his way with a sword. And if, if Balaam's donkey continues to move forward, he, Balaam will be killed, right? And so he's continuing. And finally, the donkey speaks up and says, why do you keep hitting me? There's an angel there. Basically like, open your eyes, can't you see what's right there? And he can't, right? So when we think about rebuke, part of it's like, open your eyes to the truth because you're, you're off track. You're not seeing the truth. Scripture both teaches us what is true and rebukes us when we are off track. Part of the conversation through Scripture is intended to help us understand God, his word, and ourselves. And God does this through, through poetry and through story and through letters written years and years and years, centuries ago. And when we do that, when we engage in community, when we engage in these words together as the Spirit works, it's this beautiful thing as God's people are formed by the word. The second pairing has more to do the first pairing had more to do with kind of doctrine, what we believe. The second pairing has more to do with, with our conduct, our conduct, correcting and training in righteousness. I, I found this very fascinating. Here in the, the Greek, I think is really helpful. Uh, the Greek uh, here is, it literally means to make straight. Um, the root word for the Greek here, epinorthosis, uh, I, I highlighted it. Can you see that on the, on the screen? The, the root there is ortho. Now, ortho is a Greek word that literally just means straight. Now, maybe ortho kind of sounds familiar. There's, there's a practice in medicine called orthopedics, right? And so we have we, the same Greek root meaning for, that we get orthopedics, which, again, I'm not a doctor. Um, I thought I'd be one once, but that didn't work out. Anyway, uh, but orthopedics, as I understand it, right, you, you get like an orthopedic insole, right, to help preserve your arch, or an orthopedic kind of brace to kind of correct, to make straight joints, right? So orthopedics is about making straight, or at, it's not necessarily straight, but, but making your, your joints and things align the way they are supposed to. And so like, when you apply that to our lives, it's a similar idea. When, when I'm living a crooked life, when my life is off track, then, then correcting is about making my path straight, making my life straight. I find that fascinating. Straightening us out. Scriptures have a way of straightening us out. Here comes the positive side, the next one, training in righteousness. The positive side of, our con, of the conduct coin, if you will. The Greek here is, is a word related to training and discipline or the rearing of, the, of a child, padia. It shares a root with the term pedagogy. Are you familiar with that, teachers, right? Uh, the, the theory of learning. It's a, it shares a same root there, and it, it's all about bringing to maturity. And so the goal, of, uh, the goal here is of righteousness and justice, right? And so the scriptures can train us and mature us in the ways of Jesus that lead disciples toward full maturity, a life of justice and mercy, a life that pleases the Lord, Right? And so we read the scriptures so that we would become mature in Jesus Christ. 
So as I think about both of these, about correcting and making straight and training in righteousness, what I'm reminded of is, is some of the best relationships that we have span a lifetime, right? They're not confined to four hours on an, on an airplane, but they're actually those relationships that last a lifetime. And I, I think about orthopedics. Do, do you slap on a brace and in a day your, your knee's okay or your arch is fixed? No, orthopedics take time to correct, right? And the same thing, when I think about maturity and, and raising kids to become mature adults, like it takes, it takes years and years. And so when I think about the scriptures, like this is not some like, like magic book where we like open it up and we read a passage and suddenly our lives are changed. No, this is like an old friend, like a companion. And by the work of the spirit, we, 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 we root our lives in the word and the truths of scriptures and over time our lives are formed and straightened out and we grow in maturity. So we've considered a couple things. What is scripture? How's it useful to us? Now we think about what, so what? What are the implications? What are the implications? Paul has just shared the brilliance of what scripture is, how it's incredibly useful, and then he ends with the ultimate purpose of the scriptures as equipping for good work. He writes this, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scriptures, as I said just previously, is like, kind of like that the best friendships. And the best friendships we have have a tangible impact on our lives. Think about some of your closest friends who've had a positive impact on your life. The best relationships we have make us better people, make us more loving, more kind, make us people of integrity. As I think about my wife, Yvonne, who's, who's down in nursery right now, watching the kids and serving our families, she, she makes me a better person. And over those 16 plus years, like I, I'm, a better, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better friend because she's willing to speak truth into my life and love. She's, she's willing to help me see my blind spots. She's also willing to encourage me when I'm down, to lift me up. I think about her, I think of other relationships that, that have that kind of life-giving, equipping power for God's purposes in my life. And, and in a similar way, the Bible's ultimate purpose is not just to be a source of information and facts, but it's to prepare and equip, equip God's people for service, for every good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do, as Paul will write to the church in Ephesus. But this can only happen through a word that is God-breathed. The breath of God is, is the Holy Spirit. Did you know spirit and breath and wind all share the same original word in the, in the ancient Greek and Hebrew, right? The Holy Spirit is what makes the scriptures not just words on a page, but the living and active word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to penetrate even to the heart, to equip and ready us for God's purposes in this world. And as I think about relationships and as I think about God's word, like God's word is meant to be read and studied in community. And what happens when, when our closest relationships are in step with the scriptures, following the wind and the movement of the spirit? What a powerful recipe for God to move in our lives and in this world and through our lives. It's a beautiful thing. 
the word of God. As we close, I just want to invite you to imagine something with me for a moment. Imagine with me, you've, you've booked that flight, maybe from Chicago to Phoenix, Arizona. You're walking down the center aisle of that 737 or whatever plane it is, and you spot your seat. There's your seat. And, and, and admittedly, you're typically a, a leave-me-aloner, okay? No shame in that. I think most of us are kind of leave-me-aloners on a plane because it's kind of risky, right? Anyway, so you're typically a leave-me-aloner, and so you sit down in your seat, and, and, and you start offering all of those gracious, nonverbal cues to the person who's sitting next to you. Like, you know, you, you get out your book, and you start reading, and you put in your earbuds. You're, you're avoiding eye contact at all costs, right? You're not going to look at this person. And then suddenly, you feel a tap on your shoulder. And you're like, oh, no. I'm sitting next to a talker. But instead of immediately sharing his life story, he's actually just handing you your telephone that you dropped on the floor as you were shuffling through your things. And you thought, well, thank you, that was, that was kind. But as you're grabbing your phone from him, you look into his eyes and you immediately recognize who you're sitting next to. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ is sitting next to you on your three-hour flight from Chicago Midway to Phoenix, Arizona. Jesus, the Son of God. He smiles warmly, and you can, you can sense his openness. You can sense the grace just pouring out from him. He's willing to talk to you, but you also sense he's gracious enough to leave you alone. What do you do? Do you ignore him? Do you turn on your music? Do you get lost in a novel? Do you watch that movie that the, the airline has provided? Or do you engage in conversation? And do you ask him questions? Do you listen to his words? Do you listen for words of healing, words of encouragement, words of maybe even challenge and correction? How could you pass up a moment to spend three hours with the son of the living God. Do you realize we have the opportunity, not just for three hours on an airplane, but each and every day we have an opportunity to engage with the son of the living God through the living God-breathed word of God. And I'll be the first to admit that too often I settle and I settle for music or a good book or I settle for a movie. But what would happen, friends, if this week we didn't settle? If this week instead we engaged with the word of God by the power of the spirit and we listened to what Jesus might have to say? You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I'd be the first to confess that uh, too often I, I, I forget the fact that through your word, Holy Spirit, you, 
you promised to speak to us. And too often, Lord, I look at the many different Bibles that I own and I just think, well, that's, that's a book or there's other things to do. And, and yet the reality is, Lord, you, you love us and you wanna speak into our lives. And so, Spirit, I just pray that, that you would help us to experience that gentle invitation to come into your presence, to listen to your spirit speak to us through the pages of your word. Lord, may we, may, we, may we engage in the gospels, the stories of Jesus this week. May we be challenged and comforted and all the things, Lord, that we need to hear, Lord, may you speak through your word. And, and Lord, if we can do that on our own, that's wonderful, but if we can do that in community, whether on Wednesday nights or some other context and, and study your word together, Lord, open those doors of opportunity. May we be challenged, may we be encouraged, and Lord, as we step into your presence, as we engage with you in your scriptures, Lord, may our lives be impacted, and may we hear a word of comfort, of encouragement, of challenge and promise. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our Fusion community or how to support Heart of Wake Ministries, please visit us at heartofwake.com.